Today's reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Also Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through chapter 12, 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I have that problem with paper Bible. I'm just saying. <laughs> Matthew 28, verses 11. Nope. Or chapter sorry, chapter 11, 11 verse 28. verses 28 through 30, and then going into chapter 12. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read about in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you very much. You may be seated. This is the Word of God. Huge thank you to my wife who every week uh, reads the scripture. And uh, some weeks those names in there are very difficult and then I don't have to pronounce them and she does. So huge thank you to my wife every week doing that. Before I go into this one, we are in the Ten Commandments. We are in the Fourth Commandment today. And... um, I'm reminded of a story about uh, George Whitfield. It was people said who were around him that if he was preaching that week on heaven, um, he was the most pleasant person to be around. But if that week he was preaching on hell, he was the most unpleasant person to be around. And I totally understand that because whatever I'm preaching on, I have to live that throughout the entire week. And God, the Holy Spirit, brings into my life in new ways. And this week was like, it was like water in a thirsty land. It was just so amazing. I was in my office and I go over, um, I study throughout the week and then on Wednesday I put it together, decide what I'm putting in, what I'm leaving out. Um, I can't preach on everything every week or else we'd be here till like six o'clock at night every week. I don't know if you guys mind that or not. Um, As I was going over this on Wednesday, and I kind of do that on purpose because nobody's in the office on Wednesday, um, I was just weeping before the Lord at how amazing this is. And it has everything to do with the Old Testament and New Testament connections of the law of God. 
we talk about the law of God, um, God's law in the Old Testament, there is a lot of confusion. Some seem obvious to us, do not murder, do not steal. But what about the laws that don't seem to make sense to our 21st century minds? Like what things to eat or types of fabric to wear? It seems wrong to pick and choose which ones we follow and which ones we don't, and it certainly is. But then how do we make sense then of God's law in the New Testament in our current context? Um, This is a struggle. This is a struggle even for people who call themselves pastors to understand. But when we understand God's law, we understand what it means that Christ fulfilled the law. Oh, we become like the wise man in in, um, Psalm 1, who it is his delight, the law of God. Once again, this isn't a struggle amongst, um, even amongst pastors and in the Assemblies of God. Um, I've got a couple of slides at the end I want to go over here. So I'm a part of this Facebook group for Assembly of God Minister Nerds. Um, if you've been to my house, you know that rabbit trail goes very deep um, in my nerddom. And um, what I have right here is a post that was put on there. It's a meme. Um, I don't know how well you can read it or not. It's from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And everyone's like, man, what a nerd. But anyway, it was, it, I thought it was awesome. It made this great point um, we have up here. Um, I want to know which parts of the Old Testament I can ignore. That's kind of like what we kind of mean when we talk about Old Testament God's law. Which ones can I ignore? The bottom one here, my dear doctor, Paul said all scripture is God-breathed and applicable. Can we go to the next? Even the difficult parts. And we have below here, especially the difficult parts. So you wonder, what does that mean? I mean, obviously, I mean, for instance, what about like circumcision? That was a big thing in the Old Testament. In fact, there's this part with uh, Moses not circumcising his sons and God's wrath starting to kindle against him and uh, Moses' wife circumcising their sons and putting the foreskin at his feet. I don't know if you know that story or not. It's a weird story. Uh, It did happen. Um, But then we're told in Galatians that if you get circumcised, you have no part in Christ. How do we make sense of all of these things? And like I said before, even Assembly of God ministers have a difficult time. Go to the last couple slides there. All right, so here we go. I blocked out names because I didn't mean, I wasn't doing this to put people on blast, but I wanted to show the incredible disconnect even amongst ministers and understanding God's law in a New Testament way. We have here, the person says, better start laying off pork. The person comments on underneath um, and no wearing cotton blends. Um, you know something? You'd expect to see that on an atheist form, not an assembly God minister form. It makes me wonder, wait, what are, what are we doing? What are we teaching in our seminaries and in our Bible colleges that somebody would respond like that mocking God's law? Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you don't understand. You don't understand. It seems kind of weird, but you shouldn't mock God's law like this. And obviously they don't understand the New Testament connection between these things, that it is relevant even if we don't practice it the same way in the Old Testament. This commandment connects all of those things. I'm not going to explain everything about the Sabbath to you today, but what I am going to explain is how do we read the Old Testament law in a New Testament way to where it makes sense and it is relevant for our life, that we can honor these laws even though we do not practice them the same way they did. What does it mean that Christ did not abolish the law but came to fulfill the law And what relevance does that have with us today? First of all, let's talk about the different types of law in the Old Testament. Um, There's a difference between the ceremonial law, the moral law, and the judicial law. The moral or ethical law is the do's and don'ts. They don't change. 
do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. The Ten Commandments fall into that category, all besides that one right there, number four. You also have laws about clothing, that whole cotton blend thing, or what you can eat, like pork or, or shellfish. These were laws that were types and shadows of something much greater that would appear later on. They were whispers. There's somebody who can make you holy. As you put on different clothing than the people around you, you are holy as and you are set apart as God's own people. It was to whisper of somebody who would make you that way in the inside and not only the outside. You also have the judicial law. The Westminster Confessions adds this category of the judicial or civil law. These laws were specifically given for the culture and place of the Israelites and encompass all the moral law, um, this includes everything from murder to restitution for a man gored by an ox and the responsibility of the man who dug a pit to rescue the neighbor's trapped donkey. Um, since the Jews saw no difference between God's law, God's um, ordained morality and their cultural responsibility, this category is used by Christians far more than Jewish scholars. Now, if you add on to all of that, also, the sign covenants, the, co the signs of the covenants, such as circumcision, the rainbow, the king, be king being a descendant of David, um, it's easy to see how someone can be confused. When I went over the second commandment, I said it was the second most ignored commandment. Today is the number one most ignored commandment. It's hard to understand because obviously we're not having church today on Saturday. It is the first day of the week. It is the Lord's day and not the Sabbath. As Alistair Begg puts it, uh, most people fall into two dishes con ditches concerning this commandment. Either one, there's a complete lack of conviction about any notion of a, the abiding significance of the fourth commandment. Just no, no conviction as though it shouldn't even be there. Or two, total confusion concerning the nature, not only the Ten Commandments, but in particular this one. So either we do nothing with this commandment, or like the Pharisees, we make up a whole bunch of laws around this commandment. In order to understand this commandment, or understand the heart behind this commandment, we need to go back to the commandment itself. What does it, what does it say? First, we should note that this is not, does not start with a negative, but a positive statement. Remember. As opposed to you shall not, we are told remember. And God tells us why. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So let's look at how God celebrated the very first Sabbath. The very first Sabbath, it's at the creation. It is not, though, a law for the people to follow until the Ten Commandments are given. Every one of the Ten Commandments, you can actually see before the Ten Commandments. Not this one, though, as being prescribed for the people. It is only after they flee slavery that they are told about to honor the Sabbath. But Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, this is the creation story. So the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, um, the uh, work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God rests. He does not rest because he was worn out from making all of creation. God is infinite. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. So he doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests because the work is finished. There's no more work to do. 
That's going to be important as we understand the heart behind this commandment, especially in the New Testament sense. This commandment also was a sign of a new covenant, a covenant with Moses, the covenant of the law. This, unlike the other commandments here, is most closely tied to the ceremonial law because this was a message, this was a type and shadow of a one who would come one day and he would give his people true rest. What is there to remember on the Sabbath? The Sabbath and Sabbath celebrations were a time of active remembrance for believers in the Old Testament. They would remember, one, that God created the world. Two, that he created a good. Three, because of mankind's sin, the good world fell. And four, that if you followed the law, paradise could be restored. Only one problem. Nobody, never, not a single person besides Christ could follow the law. So paradise is always out of reach. This is a great remembrance of all of human history. All of human history, you have person, potentate, dictators, um, government bodies trying to create paradise. In the, in the 20th centuries, it was utopia, and you just couldn't do it. Try your hardest in the physical sense, and we find out utopia um, is always built on the remains of all the people you have to kill to try to get it. And the act alone presents, prevents utopia from being gained. So you need somebody who can make the impossible possible. You need a God of the impossible that could give true rest and true freedom. The Sabbath is about freedom. And enslaved people cannot have a Sabbath. And insane people cannot have true rest. Because even if you have a day off when you are enslaved, it's only to the whim of your master. Your time is not your own. In Egypt, the land of slavery, they could not have a Sabbath rest. They could have a day where the Egyptian told them, you don't have work today, but any time, any moment, they could decide, no, we want more bricks. We've canceled today. It's only a free people can have a Sabbath's rest. And what does God, when he first tells, when he first speaks through Moses to let his people go, what does he say in Exodus 5.1? Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Slavery prevents you from having a true Sabbath rest. Slavery prevents you from having a true Sabbath rest. Spiritually, sin keeps us from resting. Sin keeps us from truly resting in God. What day is the Sabbath? That's the big question that comes up when you talk about honoring the fourth commandment. Well, what day is it? You have churches like the seven-day of Venice who will say, you must have church on Saturday. It's the Sabbath. So that's when you must have your worship service. Now, when the commandment was instituted, it didn't necessarily include worship service. It included rest. But that's what they'll say. And if you have church on Sunday, you're, you're, breaking, some, you're breaking a law. We have, we have service on Sunday. So others will make the case that the Sabbath has moved, moved to the Lord's Day. That's the first day of the week, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The question, though, really misses the point. The point is that the Sabbath is much more glorious and wonderful than a day of the week. It's one of these things, you see it on the surface, but there's so much underneath it that is glorious and wonderful and that so many people, to their detriment, miss. Jesus' teachings on the Sabbath, his fulfillment of it, 
In the event that we are going to go over in Matthew chapter 12, we will see something spectacular, spectacular claim about the Sabbath. When we look at the Sabbath, when we look at it being fulfilled by Christ, we can also apply all the ceremonial law of all of the history of the earth up until this point and what it means that Christ has fulfilled the ceremonial law and that you can take delight, even though, I mean, I don't know what fabric I'm wearing today. It probably includes many different fabrics. But I can still rejoice in the law that was given to Israel. And understanding this commandment will, will show us this. In Matthew chapter 11 and 12, what we see is the legalism of the Pharisees, the greatness of Christ, then finally, the one who is the Lord of rest. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, we see this incident happening in Jesus' life. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields of the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads off the grain to eat. Now, I'll stop right there. You might be thinking, well, are they stealing right now? Is that why people are upset with them? They're not. It was actually in the law that the farmers were supposed to cut corners, and people could go throughout the field, and they could take the heads off a of grain, crush it in their hands, and eat it as a bit of a snack. The problem was it was on the Sabbath, and they had made extra laws around the Sabbath. Nothing Jesus or his disciples do in here breaks any of the laws in the Scripture following the Sabbath. These are extra laws that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had made. The Pharisees and Sadducees in Christ's time became the pinnacle of legalism. Not just them either. The whole Jewish system by the time of Christ was obsessed with legalism, adding laws onto the law of God. Legalism as defined by the dictionary is strict adherence, the principle of a strict adherence, or a law or prescription, especially to the letter rather than the spirit. Is why New Testament writers will say that the letter of the law brings death, the spirit brings life. They would have this strict observance of it, and around that they would make, they would make boundaries around the law to, to stay away from possibly breaking it, but they would hold people accountable to their made-up laws. And in the Midrash, they had 39 extra laws associated with the fourth commandment. Jesus' disciples, they probably saw them as breaking probably about four of them. One was a Sabbath day's journey. They probably were walking longer than that. Um, also was about reaping, ripping off the uh, heads of the wheat. About, um, about milling would be breaking it in their hands. And then also, um, I forget what the fourth one they probably would have been guilty of. Who cares? Because it was made up anyway. This is found in the Midrash, the Shabbat of uh, Midrash there. Um, the horrible thing about legalism, however, even though it seems like it's respecting, it's revering God's law, it's a complete rejection of God's law. You make laws around this that you can keep, so you don't have to worry about the laws you cannot keep. When I was uh, growing up, and I was, Assembly of God is a little more, I shouldn't use the word liberal, I don't know any other word than North Dakota Assemblies of God is. See, when I was came to faith in Jesus Christ, you, you in the Assembly of God church I was in, you couldn't attend a dance. We're not so, we're not so strict like that around here. Um, even playing cards was frowned upon. In fact, I knew a friend, a good friend in youth group. She couldn't go to the theater to watch a movie. She could watch a movie at home, but if you go to the theater, that, that's a whole different thing. And we, I mean, sometimes I reminisce with you and, and um, several people around here, and we talk about the different weird legalistic things that we, uh, that were around during certain times. I remember like 
Rook is like the Christian card game because you can't play like poker and blackjack and things like that. We have all kinds of laws around this. And we do that because we can keep those laws. It's harder to keep the laws against slander, bearing false witness against your brother and sister. It's so much harder to keep the laws about adultery when adultery means lusting after somebody in your heart. But if you can make it all about all of these externalities, I can keep those, especially if it's not a problem for me. Like, for instance, I remember for many, many years, once again, there was, uh, there was dancing was really frowned upon. That one's easy for me because I hate dancing. Like I watch Footloose and I'm like with John Lithgow. I'm like, no, you shouldn't do dancing. It's stupid. Um, But anyway, that's my personal feelings. To then put that on others is something much different. It's a rejection of God's law. And when you reject God's law, you're only left with legalism. I've said one part of the legalism. Let me tell you about the other part of the legalism we see more and more today. It's this. Law, 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 no forgiveness, no redemption. This is, this is in essence what cancel culture is today. There are so many laws and the laws are ever changing because the laws are made to be broken, not made for people to follow them because you need to feel morally superior to somebody else. So something that could have been said last week, now you decide to take offense towards and you cancel that person and they can never come back from that. This is legalism. And this is the heartbreaking thing about it is that there is no redemption for there is no one. There is no one who can redeem you from this, who can do the impossible because they reject God's law. They are left only with legalism. Worse yet, there is no repentance, no redemption. There is only accusation. And there is a deep-seated need in the human heart for redemption. For we all know that we have broken the law, the law of our own hearts and the law of God. And we know that we need forgiveness. Since I already revealed to you before, I'm a huge nerd. There's another sci-fi show, Doctor Who. And Doctor Who, I'm not going to go over the whole history or anything like that. But there's this part where one of the characters says to the doctor, the main character, and says, you want to be forgiven. And his response, I think, spoke so many volumes. Even though this TV show is all materialistic, nothing supernatural, he says this, don't we all? That breaks my heart because even in our society, even people who don't know Jesus Christ, they know they need to be forgiven. But how do you find forgiveness? We try so many good works and it's never enough. It's never enough even in our own cultures, never enough in our own hearts because we know at the end of the day, if heaven is a place for the righteous, does that include me? I need forgiveness. How sad to see someone who's trying to do good They're trying to beat that addiction. They're battling against depression. They're battling against anxiety. They're trying so hard and they say, I'm trying. Salvation isn't just hard work. It's impossible work. How can we have rest if we have to continually work for salvation? And it's never, ever, ever enough. We read this story and maybe we wonder why the disciples were stealing grain. I already said before it was absolutely lawful for them to do what they were doing. It was absolutely lawful for them to walk the distance they wanted to walk and all of these things. The issue was that it was the Sabbath. And even though Jesus' disciples had not broken any of the Sabbath law found in the actual scriptures, they had broken man-made laws. And if there's one thing legalists hate above all things is for you to disregard their law. There were 39 additional Sabbath laws outlined in the Midrash, Midrash Shabbat 7.2. 
And his disciples probably broke, broke about four. And Jesus wasn't even reprimanding them. Legalists hate it when you don't respect their made-up rules. Real quick, I want to make, I want to make, I want to talk about two ditches we fall into. Legalism versus libertinism. I already defined legalism. Let me define libertinism. Libertinism means I do what I want because God will forgive me. It's the person who doesn't fight war against their sinful nature. It's the person who indulge in their sinful nature. This is why in Galatians, Paul says, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You do what's out of your heart. So a person who lives that way, these are two ditches to fall into, and these are two things that damn a person to hell. Libertinism is going, is doing whatever is right in your own eyes. The Nike logo, just do it. Follow your heart. So much of the New Testament is warning against these two extremes. The charge of legalism. Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it and said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees charged Jesus' disciples with breaking the law. But Jesus isn't bothered. Um, the only power legalists have is the power you give them. They're not operating on God's law. Can I speak very bluntly about the last couple of years here? Because there's been so many laws being brought up about the way we do church. And here we, we ignored them. And it doesn't bother me at all that we did because they're not laws that God prescribed. The only power you give legalists, the only power legalists have is the power you give them. They're not operating on God's law. So it's just a glamour. You only face their displeasure, but you'd be facing that whether you obey or don't obey. Laws are not made to be followed in legalistic mindsets. They are laws that are made to be broken so that you can be forever the bad guy to their forever good guy. Their charge means nothing, and Jesus hammers this home. He and his disciples were not violating the Sabbath, even if they were doing serious work that the Torah forbid, then they were already an example of people doing that work who remained guiltless. And Jesus gives them two examples. And every example Jesus gives, he's telling them he is greater than these examples of exceptions to the fourth commandment. Let's get into that. Someone is greater. In verse, uh, in verse 3 here, and then, um, he said to them, have you not read? Have you not read? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the most educated people in the face of the earth when it came to God's law. And he says, have you not read? This is like getting them good. It'd be like going to like a university and like one of the, you know, Harvard, whatever. And you see in, there's a professor there who's taught there for 20 years on particle physics. And you're in there and you raise your hand and you're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Everything you say is wrong. Have you not read? And here's the thing though. They may have read it, they may have taught it, but they did not understand it. They were so focused on their man-made laws that they could not see the heart behind these laws, and Jesus brings it back to these things. Jesus asked them, have you not read? Have you not read? Well, they didn't. And if they had, they did not understand that there was exceptions to this law, even from the moment this law was given. And Jesus gives just two of those examples. The first one is about David and the priest of Nob. Jesus says, have you not, he said to them, have you not read what the, David did when he, was, when he was hungry and those who are with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those who were with them, but only for the priests? 
This story is found in... should have highlighted my reference here. It's in 1 Kings, there we go, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. This is when Saul is hunting David. And he has these band of brothers around him, and they are fleeing, and they come to this place, they come to a temple, and they are starving to death. And they ask for food, and the only food that's there is the showbread. Now, they are already violating the Sabbath by fleeing on the Sabbath, but when somebody's trying to kill you, you flee. They really violated the Sabbath. Now, that was up for debate. What's not up for debate is that that bread was only for the priest. It was not for anybody else, but their need was great. And here's the thing. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, anybody reading the Torah knows that David was righteous in doing this, not a lawbreaker. It's an exception to the rule because David was anointed king, and this was God's will. Jesus gives this example, even though him and his disciples are not starving, nobody's chasing them to kill them, they're not breaking any of God's law in any way, shape, or form, but what he's trying to plant in their head is that David was able to do this because of his anointing. Now there's somebody much greater than David who is here. That's the seed that's planted in our mind right there. Somebody greater than David is here, and Jesus goes so much further than this. This teaching right here and subsequent into the next chapter, is when they'd start deciding this guy needs to die. Let's get into it. Um, The second example he gives here is that of the priests. Um, Verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Well, this is something, right? This is something I think even as ministers, we kind of have a hard thing because we think, well, When we think of the fourth commandment as God saying everybody gets a day off, then we think like as pastors, okay, well, now I need to have my own Sabbath day. The priests didn't get their own Sabbath day. The Sabbath was Saturday. And they were allowed to profane it by by working in the temple. And Jesus brings that to their remembrance that this is an exception to the law. And it is good. It is righteous. And now one greater than the temple is here. (gasps) You know, I mean, like, I want you to feel how much they, they hear that, and they're like, who does this guy think he is? He's greater than David? He's greater than Moses? He's greater than Abraham? He's greater than the temple? Yeah, absolutely. Greater than all these things. He's greater than the law? He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the heart of the The second example Jesus gives is that of the priests and their duties during the Sabbath. They profane the Sabbath every Sabbath in that they work on the Sabbath. This was ordained by God at the construction of the temple and at the giving of the law. Now one who is greater than both is here. Then Jesus quotes from Hosea 6.6. We've been going over on Sunday mornings the book of Hosea. He quotes from Hosea 6.6 and he tells them, I tell you, someone greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is a quote from Hosea 6.6. And it reveals what we don't understand about the Sabbath. Mostly, neither do we understand this. We ignore it, or we become legalistic. But really, the Sabbath is about mercy, not sacrifice. It's about The Sabbath points to the one that is more important than all of those things, more important than the rules all around it, 
It is about the one who can truly give us rest. My third point today is the Lord of rest. You may have thought I forgot about the first part of what Becca read today from Matthew chapter 11, but I didn't. Chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, to the end, which is the end of the chapter. It's the underpinning of what's about to happen. Matthew, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, connects these two things together, and he's the only biblical writer to do so. Matthew chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, gives us context for chapter 12 and the statement that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's reread it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what the Sabbath is about, is rest from working. Even as believers, even though we know that we've been set free from the burden of the law, we go back to try to earn our salvation all the time. We see this in the book of Galatians. It's why Paul was hopping mad when he said, who cut in on you? You had such a good start. You began with the spirit. Why are you going back to the flesh? So many Christians are the same way. Like, okay, how, where am I at the, in the hierarchy of spirituality? Am I greater than these people because I'm doing this? Oh, we've missed it completely then. The person who, when they are stressed, when they are dealing with all of these things in their head and all that, they just go to the world or they hyperventilate, they let the anxiety and depression swallow them. They have forgotten that their rest is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. In the Old Testament, every week, they had a reminder that what God had brought them the creation, six days. God worked for those six days, and on the seventh, he rested. The work of creation was done. The work of salvation was beginning. And then Christ on the cross, when he's about, he about ready to give up his breath, he said, it is finished. And he rested, and he is now at the right hand of the Father. Are you tired of working yet? Are you tired of when you are overcome with anxiety and worry? Or will you be still and know that he is God? Every Sabbath was whispering of the one who would bring true rest. He would hang on a cross, and when he was ready to die, he said, it is finished. Jesus is my Sabbath rest. He is where I go to find rest. What is rest? When talking about the fourth commandment, the point isn't to have a day off the week to yourself. This is not the commandment or the law for self-care. It does not mean you need, an, you need an occasional getaway. Those things may be very good, but would you need much more than two weeks in Hawaii, even though that would be very nice? You need to rest in Christ every single day. Every hour I need thee. There still remains for other reasons why we should do that, why we should find rest, why we should, why we should cease from working, but our true rest is found in him and him alone. You don't necessarily need time off, you need rest. The most miserable people on earth are people who are inactive. They do nothing, and nothing honestly is exhausting. You have others who brag about how much they work. They fall into the other thing where, they, where they're so happy that they never have a day off. They work 80-hour work days. That's a contradiction, a joke. 
And it's like, congratulations, your prize is a heart attack at the age of 40. People look to vacations to give them rest. And then when they're done with the vacation, they're looking forward to work to give them rest from the vacation. I don't know if you've been there. But that's not rest. It's standing under the waterfall of grace and allowing the Lord of the Sabbath to refresh you. This isn't a day, it's a person. Are you weary? Do you have concerns that are weighing you down? You don't need a week in Hawaii. You need a moment of rest with the Lord of rest. Let me read for you, without even comment, Hebrews 4, 1 through 10. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For he who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and for those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying, though David so long afterwards, in the, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works as God from his. Breathe. Are you burdened and heavy laden? Breathe. Are you overcome by stress and fear? Maybe not today. Maybe it'll be sometime future. One of the things, though, you know, one of the promises of Christ in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And that is what the fourth commandment means. It means I can rest in Christ in the middle of hectic craziness. When you haven't had a day off for three months, you can still rest in him. It is a promise fulfilled. The Sabbath was a unique law in that it wasn't a moral law. It was a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. And Christ doesn't do away with it. He fulfills it. The sign of the Abrahamic Covenant was circumcision. And today we do not do circumcision as a sign of the covenant because we know Christ has fulfilled it. We know that the slaughtering of sheep and goats, it pointed towards the one who would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For us to constantly worry, okay, well, what do I do on the Sabbath day to honor God here? And we make all these laws around it that would be as inappropriate as me taking a lamb out and having and, and slaughtering it before you today for the remission of your sins because Christ has already done it. And Christ has brought you rest. So does that mean you not you shouldn't have a day of your week that you should have rest? You know, absolutely you should. But don't think that that confers to you holiness and righteousness. It's made for you to rest. It's made for you to honor God by trusting him with all of our troubles. I speak with other ministers and we'll talk about how sometimes it's hard to get to sleep because you're worried about the things in your congregation. 
remember thinking, it's like, you know, I don't really have that problem because I know it's not all on me. This is Christ's church. And I know I can't do anything. I know if somebody's engaged in a sin, I can't force them to stop doing it. But I can trust the one who can. And I can rest in him. Only a free people can truly rest. The Sabbath was given after slavery. Let me repeat that again. The Sabbath was given after slavery because only a free people can have a true Sabbath's rest. Only free people can know the Lord of the Sabbath. When we are stressed or anxious, we say we have brought it to the Lord, but have we as we continue to carry it around? Have we trusted him with it, or do we just take a breath and are surprised Jesus didn't come in like a genie to take it away? We are, when we are overcome with worry, where do we go? That's the biggest thing, right? When something bad happens in your life, how do you respond? That shows where your heart is at. When something bad happens into your life, do you get the phone and start talking about it with everybody? When something bad is on the horizon, do you just sit there and worry? Or do you go to the Lord of all lords, to the King of all kings, the Lord of the Sabbath, to find your true rest? Now, don't get me wrong. Counselors, going to a pastor, going to a friend, going to a support group, they are all great. But if you are not going to the Lord of the Sabbath, you will not find rest. And there are times where somebody's in my office, I know I'm not accomplishing anything because you won't go to the Lord of rest. You just want me to hear you out so that I could take the edge off. But if you want true rest, you have to go to the Lord of the Sabbath and then come to me and I'll listen to you. I'll pray with you. I will weep with you. I will rejoice with you and I'll be very happy to do so. But if you will not go to him first and after and every moment, How many times have you been so overcome with worry and you needed to stay under that waterfall of grace and say, God, I'm overcome, but I trust in you. I trust in you. And sometimes the feeling doesn't happen right away. The anxiety feels like it's swallowing us up, but we remember that trouble lasts for a night, but joy comes with the morning. Paul the Apostle was not a man who was unfamiliar with the sufferings of this life. He boasts of them. In fact, there's a time where he says, we despair to the point of death. And then he says, our light and momentary troubles are produced. Light and momentary troubles. That's rich coming from him. He was beat like Jesus was beat twice. He was shipwrecked. I've been out on a small lake in a paddle boat in a storm, and I was terrified. He was shipwrecked a day and a night. All of these things. He probably walked weird because his spine was messed up from all the beatings he took. He fought in the Colosseum against wild animals. He says, our light and momentary troubles are producing for us a crown of glory which far outweighs them all. Because all of the problems, all of the worry, he could still take them before the throne of God and receive mercy and grace in this time of need. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe everything is going great for you and you need to memory hold this message for the time when things are not going great for you. But even if things are going great for you, remember, your rest is not found in the good times. It is found in Christ alone. That is why when in the bad times, in the worst of times, you can still have joy. It's a joy the world can't take away because the the world didn't give it. Worship team, would you come up at this time? I've had a fantastic week because I've remembered every single day that I rest in Christ and and that my rest is found in Him and Him alone. Colossians 2.16 Real briefly, I want to address, I didn't want to address in 
in depth or else it would go very long and we'd get away from the main, the main point of the scripture we read today, which is Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. But real quick here, when it comes to, okay, should we have church on Saturday, on the Lord's Day, we have a direction in scripture, Colossians 2.16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, or in regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Now, legalistic on these things, Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath. We then celebrate on the first day of the week, which we call the Lord's Day. We honor the Sabbath by going to Christ for our rest. And we rejoice together. We follow Jesus Christ's commands to not neglect meeting together on the Lord's Day. In summary, we need to resist legalism because legalism is a rejection of the law of God. We need to find a fulfillment in Christ because he fulfills the law because he is Lord of the Sabbath. Are you weary and heavy laden? Are you overcome with a multitude of fears and stress? Find rest. Remember where your rest lies, not just on Sunday, but every single day of the week. Would you please stand with us as we end with our last song here? As we're doing this, I was reminded of a story of a farmer in church during the harvest. Was not here. It's not my story. Um, This farmer, he would fall asleep. Like after worship, when the pastor started talking, he'd fall right asleep. Pastor was a little offended by this, so he talked to the farmer afterwards. He's like, "Um, I must be really boring. He's like, you're not boring. It's just that when I come to church... I can lay all my burdens down, all the worries of the farm. The 20-hour days, the weather, I can lay all of that down and I can finally rest. I remember hearing that story and that's like, that should be us every single day, every moment. Even in the middle of a hurricane, I can rest. As we sing this last song, if you are dealing with, if you have a burden, lay it down and rest. Remember where your rest is. Worship team, would you please lead us?